Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast. We're a ministry dedicated to those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others to thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, we bring you the Sunday message from August 29th, 2021. Let's dig in. As a child, it seemed that every Christian that I knew was only interested in one thing and one thing only. And wasn't getting to Sizzler on time, though that was important. And it wasn't world peace, and don't even get me started on their views about world peace. And it certainly wasn't building bridges of love and understanding in the surrounding community. No, none of those things actually topped the list. Growing up, the one thing that every Christian that I knew was interested in was getting out of here. And By here, I mean planet Earth. And by get out, I mean the rapture. Now, if you've never heard that word rapture, then I certainly think you probably didn't grow up Baptist. But we weren't the only ones that subscribed to the view of the rapture. And rapture is a view about the end times that sees Jesus coming at the beginning of the end times and snatching away all of the true Christians in the blink of an eye, leaving everyone else behind for, well, judgment. Sucks to be you. Well, we never actually said sucks to be you specifically. We didn't use the word sucks. That that wasn't allowed. It wasn't kind. We used other words, kinder words like sinner, evildoer. Those words were better. But really, all in all, we just kind of, we wanted out of this world. This world was not our home. We were just passing through. We'd sing songs about it, like Larry Norman's wildly popular, I wish we'd all been ready on his album, Only Visiting Planet Earth. And we'd make movies about it. Do you remember the Left Behind movie series with Kirk Cameron? Well, that wasn't good enough because they made it again with Nick Cage. And see that subtitle? The End Begins. Are you ready? Fast forward to today, and I'm seeing a lot of commentary among fundamentalist friends about the end being very near. I'm seeing a lot of verses taken out of context that seem to indicate that the, way, the raging wildfires, the crisis in Afghanistan, the pandemic have all kind of coalesced into a sure sign that the end times are immediately upon us. It's here. Now, while you might think that that would bring about sadness, all that death, all that destruction at the hands of fires and viruses and conflict, it actually seems to be a cause of celebration oftentimes among those who had wished that everybody would have been ready. But, well, if not everybody's going to be ready, at least at least I am. It comes across a bit like gloating, don't you think? 
What once seemed normal now seems quite odd to me, that Christians would celebrate destruction, wars, global pandemics as a sign of the imminent return of the Savior. Now, quite honestly, it disgusts me. And it's all I can do to keep from commenting as much when I see posts like that on the internet. But I'll admit the problem isn't the people who are posting it. Most of these people are otherwise very good people. The problem is bad theology. And bad theology can lead to some very bad Christian practices. For far too long, far too many Christians have erroneously believed that they're going to be vacuum sucked out of here at the sound of a trumpet, that mass pandemonium is going to ensue in that moment, bada bing, bada boom, the earth is destroyed, Armageddon style, all while Christians safely watch it happen from the other side of heaven's border wall. And a lot of that, most of that, is really pretty bad theology, at least if we really read the Bible. Now, I can't go into all of it at the moment with the amount of time that we have here, but the important thing that you need to know is this, that God's plan isn't to destroy the world. No, not at all. God's plan isn't to destroy the world, but God's plan is to actually renew the world. Remember back in Genesis, saw, God saw everything that he had made here. And, and remember what he said? He said it was good. He saw all that he has made. And he said, it's good. The Bible teaches that this ball in the sky that we call planet Earth will exist forever. And that this ancient soil that we walk on, that we live on, that we plant in will forever be our home. God doesn't do away with this place, God actually renovates it. God flips the house. God doesn't hate this planet. No, God wants to rescue this planet. I wonder if part of the reason why so many Christians don't care much about climate change, global warming, air pollution, renewable energy, deforestation, air pollution, fracking, strip mining, natural resource depletion, or even Basic recycling is because many of us believe that God is just going to destroy it all anyway. And if God doesn't value it, well then, well then why the heck should we? Oh, how far we have walked away from the truth of the scriptures. I mean, of course, the Bible teaches that this present age and the people who follow their own desires rather than godly ways are wrong and are misguided, but, and it's a big but the Bible also teaches that since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the renewal of the world has already begun. Since the resurrection, the renewal, the renovation, the flipping has already begun. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us through our prayers and through our actions to grab hold of the kingdom of God and to pull it right into the here and now. God doesn't despise the earth. We're supposed to be stewards of it. We're not supposed to despise this earth either. 
We're supposed to be caretakers. That was God's original command to us to take care of this earth. Or as Leonard Sweet is known for saying, to be a trustee. As a trustee, we have a responsibility to work for the good of the thing over which we manage, over which we oversee. We're to manage the state of the earth. We're to tend it. We are to make renovations, make it better, keep it well. We are to be agents that make God's kingdom come here sooner. And what does that look like? What does God's kingdom come look like here on earth? It doesn't look like Armageddon. It looks like this. It looks like Eden. And I've just got to say, if you're not concerned about climate change or renewable energy, deforestation, air pollution, fracking and strip mining or basic recycling in any way, if you're not interested in any way protecting or caring for this place that we call home and will forever call home, then it might be time to reconsider both your theology and maybe even your politics. There was something else, though, that was absolutely integral to the Garden of Eden being what it was. And I can sum it up in one word, peace. The Garden of Eden was the physical representation of perfect peace and safety for the first human beings. There wasn't any danger. There was no worry, no violence, no sickness, no stress. <laughs> Doesn't that sound quite peaceful to you? It sure does to me. The world hasn't known that kind of peace since the Garden of Eden. But the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament promised that that kind of peace would return once again. Speaking in a time of great tension and great turmoil, not unlike today, Isaiah had this to say. There will come a time in the last days when the mountain where the eternal's house stands will become the highest, most magnificent, grander than any mountains around it. And all the nations of the world will run there, wanting to see it, feel it, fully experience it. Many people of all languages, colors, and creeds will come. People, come. Let's go to the Eternal's Mountain, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that we might learn from him how best to be, to go along in life as he would have us go. After all, the law will pour out from Zion, the word of the Eternal from Jerusalem. God will decide what's fair among the nations and settle disputes among all sorts of people. Meanwhile, they will hammer their swords into plowshares, reshape their spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not attack another. They will not practice war anymore. This is a fairly famous passage, to say the least. In fact, that swords into plowshares part is written on a wall outside of the United Nations building. That's how well known it is. And why are these verses so very important? Well, they say that God's future kingdom is one that will be marked by peace. Peace between people of nations, tribes, 
and tongues, peace between people of all languages, colors, and creeds. And it even seems as though this peaceful kingdom will be, bought, will be brought about not just through praying heaven down to earth, but by God followers actually taking their weapons of war and remaking them into instruments of peace. Think about that for just a moment. God's kingdom will be brought by swords being made into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Swords and spears, those are tools of war. Plows and pruning hooks, those are tools of, well, this Indiana boy can confidently tell you that plows and pruning hooks are tools that are meant for a garden. And when we take instruments of war and turn them into tools of peace, and what greater tool of peace is there than a tool that helps grow food in a garden that's going to be served on tables? Well, when we do that, then we are actively working to make God's kingdom come. This week, I was arrested and deeply broken when I stumbled across this graph. It shows the deaths in the war in Afghanistan over the last 20 years of occupation by the United States. Shown in the thousands, 5,000, 10,000, as close to 15,000 lost lives in some years, the numbers have been clearly and steadily increasing year over year over year. And as you see represented in the light blue and dark blue sections, nearly all of the deaths during the war of Afghanistan were Afghani lives. Over the last 20 years, the longest war in U.S. history, 241,000 people have died in the conflict. 241,000 people, a third of those civilians. 241,000 people, 241,000 children of God. I remember, as do many of you, just after 9-11 when we entered Afghanistan for the first time. I was serving in a church in Texas at the time, and I can remember the pastor preaching a particularly motivating message about the just war theory. Now, essentially, the just war theory is a rationale which has often been used by the church to promote a moral way to wage war. It involves, at its most basic level, a defensive war that is in defense of one's own self. War is okay if in self-defense or in retaliation in order ultimately to bring peace. Now, that message of a just war as we entered Afghanistan right after 9-11, it was a crowd pleaser, especially in Texas, especially among Christians, Christians who've been known throughout the centuries for their crusades. And it was popular, especially among a primarily conservative audience. And it caused many of us, myself included, to feel quite secure that God was on our side in waging war in Afghanistan. But... Recently, as I was reflecting on Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard, he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you. And then Jesus goes on to give a number of examples that paint God's person, you and I, 
as doing the opposite of waging war. Even when that person has been clearly and deeply wronged. And then as if to add insult to injury, the injury that Jesus has just done with the idea of just war, maybe not being a good idea. And Jesus says in verse 33, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I wonder how many of us prayed for our enemies this week. Did you? Did I? I imagine that probably more of us called for, called for war, called for retaliation, called for retribution over the tragic and disgusting loss of U.S. service member lives. I'm guessing that if we were to look over the last few months and years, more of us prayed those kinds of prayers than we did prayers of love and hope for our enemies. And are the Afghan people really our enemies? Are the Taliban really our enemies? Is ISIS-K really our enemies? Now, they may well be enemies of the state, but are they enemies of ours, you and me? Here's the question. Are we people of peace or just war? Are we people of peace or just war? Are you a person of peace? Or just war. We will not bring the kingdom of God closer through swords and spears. In fact, I believe that swords and spears actually end up pushing the kingdom of God away. We must become people who take the tools of war and renovate them into tools of peace. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not my kingdom come. Never my will be done. If we're having to make theological justifications for war, we might just need to do a gut check, a soul check. If we spent the last week crying for retaliation, decrying our president, rather than brokenhearted that a human being would take the life of so many others through such a horrendous act as a suicide bombing, then we, we might need to do a gut check. If we were people of war this week rather than people of peace, we might need to do a gut check. And we better get started. We've got to get past this rapture theology where we think we get to destroy the world, destroy its resources, destroy its people, and then just leave it. We've got to get past that. The Bible clearly calls on us to fix it. Fix what is broken. Whether we broke it or not, the Bible clearly calls us to be agents of healing, to use our hands and feet in the renovation process. What sword do you need to beat into a plowshare? 
and maybe the sword that we need to begin with is our soul. Today's message has been brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to find out more about Christ Table, visit www.christtable.today. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation. Our mission, it's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us over at www.christtable.today. And when you get over there, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners, as well as the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us Monday as we continue our step-by-step study through the book of Ephesians. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well over at www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. And until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.